Thank you. My name is Dave Powell, and our scripture reading this morning is Acts 11, 1 through 21. Would you please stand and join me in reading God's word? The apostles and the believers throughout Judea heard that the Gentiles also had received the word of God. So when Peter went up to Jerusalem, the circumcised believers criticized him and said, You went into the house of uncircumcised men and ate with them. Starting from the beginning, Peter told them the whole story. I was in the city of Joppa praying, and in a trance I saw a vision. I saw something like a large sheet being let down from heaven by its four corners, and it came down to where I was. I looked into it and saw four-footed animals of the earth, wild beasts, reptiles, and birds. Then I heard a voice telling me, Get up, Peter. Kill and eat. I replied, Surely not, Lord. Nothing impure or unclean has ever entered my mouth. The voice spoke from heaven a second time. Do not call anything impure that God has made clean. This happened three times, and then it was pulled up to heaven again. Right then, three men who had been sent to me from Caesarea stopped at the house where I was staying. The Spirit told me to have no hesitation about going with them. These six brothers also went with me, and we entered the man's house. He told us how he had seen an angel appear in his house and say, Send to Joppa for Simon, who is called Peter. He will bring you a message through which you and all your household will be saved. As I began to speak, the Holy Spirit came on them, and as he had come on us at the beginning. Then I remembered what the Lord had said. John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. So if God gave them the same gift he gave us, who believed in the Lord Jesus Christ, who was I to think that I could stand in God's way? When they heard this, they had no further objections and praised God, saying, So then, even to Gentiles, God has granted repentance that leads to life. Now those who had been scattered by the persecution that broke out when Stephen was killed traveled as far as Phoenicia, Cyprus, and Antioch, spreading the word only among the Jews. Some of them, however, men from Cyprus and Cyrene, went to Antioch and began to speak to Greeks also, telling them the good news about the Lord Jesus. The Lord's hand was with them, and a great number of people believed and turned to the Lord. This is the word of God. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. Brothers and sisters, it's good to be with you. My name is Jeff Leo. I am the pastor to college students and young adults here at the church. And it's my privilege to bring to us the Word of God. And it's, uh, I love, I'm, I'm gonna be preaching in this direction a lot because a lot of my young adults, can you wave your hands guys? Thanks. There's a lot of them over there and I'm excited for, they helped me put this sermon together and I promised them that, uh, their effort would show up this morning. So I'm really happy to be here. I'm really happy to talk about this passage. But this passage gets really real and gets really serious. So before we get serious, I want to tell you a few stories. You see, I think this passage is about learning to welcome different kinds of people across significant barriers of difference. In the house that I, one of the houses that I grew up in, we moved to the, the city. We moved to Tulsa in about fifth grade. And uh, the house that we lived in there had a gate. And it was a gate that um, blocked off the front door. So if you wanted to come to our house, we had to know you were coming. 
You couldn't even ring the doorbell unless we knew you were coming. So the FedEx guy or the UPS guy or whatever uh, couldn't deliver a package and would just throw it over the fence. So that didn't make us very happy, but, you know, that was just the house that we lived in. Well, one time, my friends and I were getting together, and uh, we were going to meet at my house, and we were going to go to whatever was open 24 hours to have whatever kids eat when they go out together for fun. Uh, Denny's, I think it was. So we were waiting for this one guy, and he never showed up. So we were like, okay, I guess we're going to go now. And so we left, and when we got home, because it was an overnighter, we were all going to hang out at my house, we saw somebody inside the gate, but outside of the house. He had made it past the barrier. But we weren't home, and neither were my parents. Turns out, my friend had climbed up on the gate because he needed to ring the doorbell. And as, as, as he was coming down, the, the cuff of his pants got caught at the top of the gate. And he went head first and landed on both arms. And when we found him, both of his arms were broken. It was really sad. There was a barrier between our family and this... I shouldn't be laughing. There was a barrier between our family and this young man. Needless to say, we're not close anymore. And uh, I feel badly about that. I still feel badly about that to this day. There's no gate out of our front door. You can come ring the doorbell when appropriate. Um, There was a barrier to this young man, and, and so, I, you know, I've been thinking about this for a long time, how our family welcomes others, and we've worked with our kids, our young children, that they might be welcoming children, and um, my, my daughter's seven, my son's four, and at this stage in their life, we've taught them to be welcoming, but sometimes they're a little bit too welcoming. We have too many offers of betrothal. Enough! I say, we don't need any more. If you have young kids who are seven and four, we've got plenty of offers. Thank you very much. Um, But our kids, sometimes parents will come to say to us, you know, Emma is all my kid talks about, or Jesse is all my kid talks about, because my, my kids really love their friends. They really, really love their friends. There's always hugging and these things going on. But I gotta tell you, when, when they come home talking about who they're gonna marry, I, I just can't take it. It's not time yet. It's just not time. In fact, one time, a parent who may be here among us came and said, Jeff, we've got a problem. Your son is writing love notes to my daughter. <laughs> and um, my son would come home, and I didn't understand what he was saying because it was close to Valentine's Day, and he would say, so-and-so forgot her love card for me. And so it did become a problem. We had a chat with our son we said, son, we're going to wait for, we're going to leave that for later. And uh, he was disappointed, but then he's like, okay, whatever. It, it wasn't really that important to him. Well, um, there's barriers, there's welcoming. My kids wrote love cards, but I want to read another letter from a nine-year-old. A letter a nine-year-old wrote to her pastor. The pastor's name was Truman Dollar, and the young child's name was Grace. 
And here's what she wrote. Dear Pastor Dollar, I accepted Jesus Christ as my Lord and personal Savior in Mrs. Burke's fourth grade class. In Sunday school, I decided I wanted to get baptized. I attended my baptism classes and everything. Then they told me I couldn't be baptized because I'm half black. I don't understand because I want to be baptized. I wish that I could be baptized at your church. I don't think it's very fair that black people aren't allowed to be baptized because God loves everyone. I hope that you will change your mind. Love, Grace. When I read a letter like this, I know that it's probably easier to, to put that in the 1960s. I mean, I'll tell you, it's from Detroit. Right? So in the 60s and 70s, there were some historic race riots that happened there. So it's easy to place it that far back, but you need to know that this happened in 1984. And this woman, Grace, um, is a woman that I worked with on InterVarsity staff for my first six years in ministry after I graduated from college. Grace has grown into a powerful tool for the Lord. And she's been used because God has done a work in her life of healing that she might overcome the experience that she had of being excluded, having a barrier raised in her face for so many years. She was finally baptized at age 16. But the story goes on. Pastor Dollar, after receiving this letter some years, he, would, he had been and would continue to fight against a church that had erected this barrier that ought not to have been there. Some of his personal indiscretions came to light. He lost his pastorate and ultimately took his own life. And Grace reflects on this experience and says, I have no doubt, I have no doubt that in part his work for what was right cost him his life. Well, the text teaches us and admonishes us that we are to be different. And I'd like to ask you to follow along it can be found in your pew Bibles in page 1379 in the New Testament. This is Acts chapter 11. And what this passage teaches us is very clear in my mind. It's this. We are to be on the lookout for what the Spirit is doing in the world. Where He goes, we go. The things He asks us to do, we do. We are to be on the lookout for the Spirit's move. And as we look to our world for where the Spirit might be working, the text teaches us to look for three things. The first, barriers to take down. The second, family members to welcome in. And the third, we look to the ends of the earth, the horizon of God's activity in this world. Look with me at the first section, the first few verses of this passage, verses 1 through 3. The apostles and brothers throughout Judea heard that the Gentiles also received the word of God. You see, God's word was making its way through the world. News was coming back to the epicenter where it all began. And this was cause for rejoicing, but it was also confusing because look at what happens in verse 2. When Peter went up to Jerusalem, again, the epicenter, the circumcised believers or those of the circumcision, Jewish believers, criticized him. And they said, uh, Peter, you, you went into the house of an uncircumcised man and you ate with him. Now, what was wrong with that? What was the problem there? Well, we'll talk about that in just a second, but I want to show you a word here in verse 2. Criticized him. 
the Jewish believers criticized him. And the word there has this flavor of exercising a certain kind of prejudice or making a a certain kind of distinction that causes you to hesitate. It's spending time figuring out whether or not what I'm doing with you is right. And so I need to show you in verse 12, this word happens again. Look down with me. The Spirit told me, Peter at this point, he's recounting the story of receiving some guys who said, hey, does Peter live here? Turns out Peter did because the Spirit directed them to the correct house. He's supposed to go with them. The Spirit told me to have no hesitation. It's the same word. To have no hesitation about going with them. So that instead of making the distinctions that would cause you not to go with them, the Spirit was clear. No hesitation, Peter. What is Luke doing? Luke is saying, here's the barrier. You think that it's okay to create a distinction that would cause you not to fellowship with someone like that. Peter's solution. Peter's solution. Well, I know that's what we think, but the Spirit told me to. And so I went without hesitation. This is a new teaching for them. But before we think that Peter is some kind of brave hero, let's look into his life a little bit. You know Peter is one of our most colorful characters in the Bible. Do you remember where he was living, where he was staying when these three people came? Well, he goes on top of the roof. He has a vision. And in this vision, some unclean animals are offered to him by the Lord, by Jesus himself. And he says, surely not, Lord. In other words, no, God. But Peter, where are you staying? Simon the Tanner's house? Do you know what a tanner does? It takes dead animals, uses their skin, turns them into useful products. And you know this, but there's hardly anything more unclean in the Old Testament than a dead body. And so here's Simon saying, no, God, I wouldn't do anything unclean except for live at Simon the Tanner's house. And we know that this story comes back to haunt him because the Apostle Paul opposes Peter, quote, to his face in the book of Galatians because at one time Peter would eat with Gentiles, but then under pressure he would withdraw later. Peter's going to struggle to get this right. And so do we. And so do we. What are the barriers that we have in our lives? I asked the young adults that same question. We got together on a Tuesday night, and I asked, what are the barriers that we face? Do you see any? I think, in our sober judgment, we know that there are. But the list grew dismayingly quickly. I was upset at how fast the list was made. It starts with denominational differences. We can't talk to each other across denominational lines. One student said, well, I came to the community dinner on Sunday night where we serve folks who could use dinner. We serve them dinner. And I was surprised to see how many of them there were and how few of us there were. Socioeconomic differences keep us apart for some reason. Comments about how gender keeps us apart. A keen awareness that race and ethnicity still keep us apart, even though we're all in the same room together. There is divides in our country. Some of the students, you need to know this, 
They are ready. They are ready to make an apology for the church in the United States' failure to obey Jesus' command to love one another, especially with regard to people whose sexual choices are different than ours. This command to love, we view it as unconditional. We all talk about how we're supposed to love others. And yet, the young people see that that's not happening, and they're ready to apologize. Never mind religion and how difficult it is to talk across religion. And then I ask them about age. What about age? Do you feel understood by your church? Do you feel reached out to by your church? Now, don't shoot the messenger. You can go talk to the young adults. They're right over there. Sorry, guys. (laughs) I think we all need to know something about this little unscientific poll that I conducted. People see these things. We know that there are divisions here. If we don't see them too, if we don't listen well and understand, how will we equip each other to address the problems that we see? So here's my invitation. If you think to yourself, well, I don't see that one. I just don't see that one as important. My invitation is for you to listen. Find a young adult, maybe one of your own, uh, but find a young adult and ask them, what do you see? Some of you have grandchildren who are young adults now. Ask them, what do you see in the church and why do you see that? And for heaven's sake, don't argue with them. Not yet. Just listen and see what they see. Because if you can't see what they see, how can you equip them for the ministry that they know needs to happen? I at least know that that's the case. I've been trying to see as much as I can the things that they see. And hopefully... Hopefully they sense that I've been working hard on that front. Well, you know, I think one of the reasons why it can be difficult to see these things, because really, I want to extend to all of us, especially because I want to extend it to myself, that we are people of goodwill, that we don't mean harm. In fact, one time I was talking with one of my mentors and supervisors. I was having a conflict with a coworker, and he said to me, you know, Jeff, people usually aren't your enemy. And that was surprisingly helpful. You should probably tell that to yourself. People usually aren't your enemy. I do believe that we're people of goodwill and we don't intend to create these barriers that we experience in life. But what about the unintended consequences of doing business as usual? What about the unintentional exclusion that's created by doing things as usual. We have a story right here from Lake Avenue Church of God's great mercy to us. A few summers ago, we held a summer camp for for children here at the church uh, where we invited some professional soccer players, the Seahorse Soccer Camp, to come and do their thing here, teach our kids soccer, but also to teach them the gospel. What an opportunity for kids to come together and to learn soccer and to learn Jesus, all for the small price tag of $200. Well, some of you are going to choke at that figure, but others of you have participated in that. And I got to tell you, it's a great program. There's nothing wrong with paying professionals for their expertise and also being able to learn the gospel. But we also knew that there is a target community that we love and that we care for who would never be able to attend that camp. You see the problem. How do we love and care for the people and still do this at the same time? Well, it was really difficult, so we had a... Uh, Pastor Carol Kenyon and, um, and Courtney Moore were having a conversation with the, sea, the Seahorse Soccer Camp folks. Didn't see how it would work out. 
the meeting ended and they parted ways. And then the seahorse soccer folks came back and said, well, you know, this is at the very center of what we believe our mission is, so what if we offered a free soccer clinic? Well, praise God, that fixed the problem. They also had a a, a different soccer camp that they held at Maranatha, but a barrier came down. Praise be to God. And people got to hear the gospel because of it. Sometimes when we do things business as usual, we're not aware of the barrier that comes up. But when we begin to listen, we have the opportunity to take that barrier down. So what about us? What about you? What about the things that you participate in, just as a matter of course, business as usual? Does it possibly, maybe, unintentionally communicate barrier? Sometimes, when we're not intentional about things, we become content with self-selection. We, we fall into categories. And almost literally, we fall into categories. But according to this text, the Spirit is not okay with that. He's not okay with the kind of distinction and hesitation that is bred from that. One of the hardest things, especially in my work with young adults, is encouraging each other to divulge the challenges and the struggles of our lives to each other. One of the frequent comments that I hear from every corner of the church, doesn't matter the age, is that I don't feel connected here. Well, let me ask you a question. Have you shared your need with others? If you haven't shared what's most important and what's most urgent for you in the here and now with someone else that's here, I'm not surprised that you don't feel connected. At the end of the service, we're going to ask you to come up for prayer, and we really mean it. We want to connect with you in this way that you might be known by someone and cared for by them. I ask folks, have you shared what you're going through with someone you trust? And too often the answer is no. This is my invitation to you. And let me say it with all my heart. I want to know. I want to know what you're going through. And if my calendar fills up, I hope you understand. But we do. The flip side of that is sometimes we hold on to the exclusion and the barrier. And we have a phrase for it in our, in our society. We call it writing people off. We just figure that God can't work through them, that they are too different from us, that we have nothing to do with them, that they don't actually matter for us or they're not significant to us. It's called writing people off. It raises a barrier. Well, once a barrier comes down, you may just find that you are overwhelmed with the opportunity to engage with people who are different from you for the sake of the gospel. And that's what happens in verses 15 to 18. So look there with me now. Let's take a look at these verses. Verse 16, for example. Then I remembered. Peter's remembering that the Holy Spirit is doing some amazing things. But then he remembered what Jesus said. Jesus said, John baptized with water, but you'll be baptized with the Holy Spirit. So if God gave them the same gift as he gave us, who believed in the Lord Jesus Christ, who was I to think that I could oppose God? And there is the title of this morning's sermon, How Not to Oppose God or How Not to Stand in the Way of God. What does that mean? What does it look like to stand in the way of God or to oppose him? Well, the text itself gives us a clue. He remembers what Jesus had said. 
You baptize with water. But later you'll be baptized with the Holy Spirit. Water baptism. Holy Spirit. And on the other side, Peter makes the connection. Well, the Holy Spirit has come. That's why I hear the gospel being spoken in different languages. And you recall that this is what happened in Acts chapter 2. The gospel was going forward in different languages. So you have water baptism. You have the Spirit. Peter remembers these words. The Spirit's coming. So how can I stand in God's way? What does it mean to stand in God's way? The connection is made for us in Acts chapter 10, verse 47. Can anyone stand in the way of these people being baptized? Who could oppose these people being baptized? Can anyone keep these people from being baptized because the Spirit had come? And this is why I told Grace's story this morning. Because when the barriers come down, we have new people to welcome. This is what happens in Acts chapter 11. Well, I need you to know that when my daughter was born and we brought her home for the first time, I brought her up close to my face and I was full of love. And yeah, I, I felt that way for my son too. But no, I really, I really did. I brought my children to my face and I said to them, Emma, Jesse, I love you. I love you. I love you. But something was not quite enough. Something was missing. And so I said to my daughter and my son, Liu Yuting, that's her Chinese name, given to her by my parents, Liu Yuxiang, I love you so much in Chinese. And my heart was even more full than when I said it in English. This is what happened in Acts chapter 2. The Spirit comes that each of us might hear that God loves us and desires to be in relationship with us in the language that we know best. Not just like the literal language, but in the idiom, in the way, in the fashion that we need to hear about His love. This is what He's doing. And so we put our daughter in the Mandarin dual language immersion program which means that her school is conducted in like 90% Mandarin. All day long, they just speak Mandarin. So it's very embarrassing, but my daughter knows Chinese better than I do. My parents must be so upset with me. But what can I do? In fact, I'd love to send her to college in China so that she might have the opportunity to communicate God's love to people in a language that she's learning to love. And college in China is way cheaper, I think. Anyway. At this time in the life of the church, the coming of the Spirit, water baptism, and repentance marked the new family coming together. So you see in verse 18, the circumcision folks, the Jewish believers, were satisfied. They said, oh, well in that case, God has granted them even the repentance that comes, that, that brings them to eternal life. The surprise is that people are being included. Now we've got to figure out what to do. And later on, we'll see that in Acts chapter 17. When you take down the barriers, there are more family members to welcome. Where are the new family members at Lake Avenue Church? Are they still coming in and hearing that God loves them in the way that they need to hear? 
Do we need to change business as usual so that someone else can hear? I'll give you an example. Um, I was at the uh, Urbana Student Missions Conference in St. Louis this past December. And InterVarsity is famous for making everybody sing in languages that they don't know, which is really challenging. And half the time I have no idea what I'm saying. I'm saying syllables and they don't really sound right, but I'm giving it my best shot. I've been doing this for years. But a student leaned over to me and said, this is really difficult. Jeff, what do you think of all this, all this foreign language singing, which we don't do very much of here? And what I try to explain to him is, listen, brother, when I don't know what I'm singing and I don't feel like I'm worshiping, I know someone else is. They're hearing that God loves them. They're expressing that God loves them in a way that they need to in order to encounter the living God. And who am I to stand in the way, to oppose, to prevent them from coming to him in the way that they need to? Well, I didn't yell at him like that, but I hope you got the point. We've seen the Spirit coming. We have seen what the Spirit is doing. I've seen it as campuses are being renewed. Even not too far away at the uh, University of California, San Diego, where we have some missionaries that we support down there, in the last Four years or so, something like three or four or five hundred undergrads have made commitments to Jesus for the first time. The Spirit is in our universities. Do you believe that? We've seen it at the schools that we used to work at, my wife and I, that we've been doing this for 12 years now. And you need to know that some of your children, especially if they're going to be high school seniors this coming year, some of your children are exceptionally well suited for that kind of mission field and they have nothing to fear. Nothing to fear because the Spirit goes before them and we are just to follow Him there. It is a great choice to choose a UC or a Cal State or a Caltech or an arts center or a PCC because I, with my own eyes, declare to you this morning, I have seen the Spirit working there and you have nothing to fear. He is there. We see this in neighborhoods too. And that's why we send our high school students to Detroit. Uh, this was my recommendation and Liz Lynn's recommendation too because we want our students to see that the Holy Spirit is making a city come alive. Every time I go back to Detroit because my, fa- my wife's family is in that area, it doesn't look the same because faithful believers are making real differences where they are and we know that's true here too. My favorite stop on Kurt Gibson's prayer walk that he led us through was this one apartment complex where, I hope I get the story right, he described it to me. The first floor was mostly single mothers and young children. The second floor of apartments, there were young men who were making drug deals and had weapons pointed out the windows, sending the young children to cars that would pass by. And it turns out, Kurt told me, that someone bought that building with the hope of renewing that place. They evicted a lot of the tenants and replaced them with families, changed the configuration of the building so that it was suitable for families and that now Bible studies are happening in this apartment complex. And when he told me that that family who purchased that building was a lake family, 
I was so encouraged that the Spirit is at work among us to make real differences in our community right here. God is at work. So the Spirit that comes in Acts 11 is still alive today. And you see, one of the most important questions that I have for us is, what do you think it means to follow Jesus? I've asked many young adults, and I've asked many adults this question, and the most common reply is this. It's following the example of Jesus. And I want to tell you this morning, that's only half true. It's only half true because we were, ta- we were talking to my son about this issue. My wife was saying to my son, well, Jesus went to heaven and he's not back yet, but he's coming back. And my son said, uh-uh, the Spirit comes already. And there's something right about that. I mean, it's not technically precise, but that's okay. There's something right about that. The Spirit of the risen Lord Jesus is here. So part of what it means to follow Jesus means listening for His Spirit, looking for His work, and going wherever He tells you instead of saying, surely not, Lord. Following Jesus is not following an historical example that has bygone era, of a bygone era. Rather, it is following a real life Jesus who is with us by His Spirit and who loves you with an everlasting love. Why am I telling you these stories of the Spirit's work? Well, I want to make a connection between the way in which the Spirit works in the book of Acts and the way we still see Him working today. And there's a common thread, a really important thread that runs between these two worlds. The Spirit, according to the Scripture, has always been in the business of bringing all things Paul's phrase is reconciling all things to himself in Jesus Christ. The Spirit is in the business of bringing you and me nearer. He's in the business of bringing communities nearer, universities nearer to himself, conforming them to the will of Jesus Christ. This has been the Spirit's business all along. And because there is not a thing in all of creation for which the Spirit will not gather at the feet of Jesus, It enables us to lift our eyes to the horizon of God's work in the world so that we might look to what the book of Acts calls the ends of the earth. This happens in verses 19 through 21. Look there with me now. Now those who had been scattered by the persecution in connection with Stephen traveled as far as Phoenicia, Cyprus, and Antioch, telling the message only to Jews Some of them, however, men from Cyprus and Cyrene, went to Antioch and began to speak to Greeks also, telling them the good news about the Lord Jesus. The Lord's hand was with them, and a great number of people believed and turned to the Lord. The first thing that I want to say to you is, do you realize that because of Acts 11, you and I are here? Had not the men from Cyprus and Cyrene gone and spoken to the Greeks, you and I would not be here. This is the beginning of the mission to the rest of the world for which we are eternally grateful. But the other thing I want to say to you is this. With whom was the hand of the Lord? Verse 21. Verse 21 says the, Lord of the, hand, the, the Lord's hand was with them. Who is them? I posed this question to a different set of young adults and um, you know, our egalitarian sensibilities, everybody's equal, so... The, the, the quick response was, well, God loves everyone, so his hand was with both 
the folks in verse 19 and the folks in verse 20. And I need to affirm to you, there is nothing inherently wrong with going to people who are like you, who are easy to talk to, and telling them that God loves them. Nothing wrong with that. Only good things come from that. But I am convinced that the hand of the Lord is a hand of help. And as we were talking about this passage, one student, Mark Torstenbo, said, maybe the hand of the Lord was with them because it required more effort it was more difficult, perhaps scarier, to go and talk to, some, to someone who was different. Now, my wife and I, we've been talking about this passage into the wee hours of the morning, and um, I needed to figure this out, so I had to call on her help, and she's taken Greek more recently than I have, so we pulled out our Bibles, and we were looking at the pronouns. You guys do that, right? You look at pronouns when you go home at night. Well, we did that, and we were, came to the conclusion, because it, it became more vivid to us, that the Lord's hand was really with them, them who took on the difficult task of going to people who were different from them. Well, verses 19 through 21 are not chronological with verses 1 through 18, but Luke puts them together anyway because he's trying to tell his readers and us something very important. And it's this. Because the Spirit is at work in new and unexpected places, God's people have nothing to fear. And they can go anywhere for the sake of the gospel. After the Urbana conference, one student came back and said to me, after having heard from speaker after speaker and seminar after seminar that our very lives were created for this purpose, that we would go to the ends of the earth, she said to me, Jeff, I never realized that this is what Christianity is about. This idea that we follow a risen Lord. He is not dead. He's not a mere historical example, but someone who calls us in real time to go to real places to deal with real pain. And we sent her to India this summer. And she's come back from that place with many stories of God's work to tell. This is how life is to be lived as we look to the ends of the earth, the horizon of God's work in the world. We are here because of this. And we continue to go because of this. Who would we be to stand in the way of God and not declare his gospel to the ends of the earth? The students I've talked to were very clear about two things. The first is this. Everyone is equally deserving of hearing the gospel. So whatever business as usual creates barriers to you sharing the gospel with others, they must come down. The late John Stott preached this text to his congregation in London so many years ago. He was so brave. He challenged his church in some very practical ways. He said, number one, learn a new language. Well, that's a, that's a bold challenge to make because I don't know how we are going to go and do that. But... Um, I, I was thinking about the Gazanians who have been volunteers in the young adult world for a long, long time. And they would come to me uh, on a regular basis and say, I wish you could meet my neighbor. My neighbor's English is, you know, is not, uh, it, it, there, there's a language barrier there. And I think to myself, well, I'm no good to you because I don't speak Chinese, but my daughter does. Maybe you can borrow her. Um, well, how helpful would it be if, we could speak our neighbor's languages. I think it's an appropriate application for this text in Acts chapter 10. But the next thing he said was even more difficult for his congregation. He made a sweeping generalization. He said anyone, anyone with a Christian mind 
You see how difficult this is going to be. Anyone with a Christian mind must oppose the British Nationality Act of 1981. And I, I don't know what that is, but I don't know what the, uh, the finer points of British law. But here at Lake Avenue Church, we have been talking about uniquely American issues that we face. Last week, Pastor Greg talked about the Trayvon Martin case and the George, Jim, George Zimmerman verdict, that, that stuff. A few months back, we talked about immigration here at Lake Avenue Church. And I believe the messages that have been coming from the stage and in our Sunday school classes have been absolutely clear, unequivocally clear. The scriptures must be obeyed. And to that, this morning, I want to add this, that the spirit of a risen Lord Jesus, not an historical example, he must be listened to in the voices of others, and he must be followed. These words from Peter's lips, surely not, Lord. John Stott said, I wish we could strike them from the vocabulary of any Christian, that we would ever say, no, Lord. That barrier has yet to come down. And this text calls us to that. And I believe with all my heart that with the power that raised Jesus from the dead, the Spirit's power that is promised to everyone who calls on the name of Jesus, we can come to will and to act according to His good pleasure. So I'm going to ask you again, if you don't see some of the problems that some other people see, ask them. Ask a young adult. Ask a family member. And listen. And know that the desire comes to us from the Holy Spirit. This is the second thing that the young adult said. The only way we're going to get this right is if we call on the Spirit. So I want to do that with you now as we close our time together. Earlier I talked about the way in which we write people off, and I think it's got to start there. If we can't get this right, with our real, real-time, real-life relationships, I'm not sure how we can lift our eyes to the horizon of God's work at the ends of the earth. So I want to invite you to pull out the kneelers. And I'm going to lead you through a time of praying and repentance on behalf of those whom we've written off. Pull out those kneelers and let's pray together. As you kneel, ask the Spirit to show you a face face of someone with whom you've disagreed and decided that you will not talk with them, a face of someone who you decided is too different and so you will not talk to them, a face of someone who has hurt you or you don't think God can work in and so you don't talk to them, ask him to give you a face. And let us pray. Lord, In each mind's eye, you by your Spirit see that face. And in repentance we ask, God help us. We don't have the love or the power or the grace of our own to care for this face, this person that we see, the real people that we know. God have mercy that they might hear of your love in the way that they need to. God, make us willing, make us skillful to communicate your love to them in the way that they need to hear it. Holy Spirit, living breath of God, breathe new life into my willing soul. 
Let the presence of the risen Lord come renew my heart and make me whole. Cause Your Word to come alive in me. Give me faith for what I cannot see. Give me passion for Your purity. Holy Spirit, breathe new life in me. Holy Spirit, show Your power once again on earth. Cause Your church to hunger for Your ways. Let the fragrance of our prayers arise. Lead us on the road of sacrifice that in unity the face of Christ may be clear for all the world to see. We pray this together in Jesus' name. Amen.